everyone, welcome back to Chronicles of Curiosity. My name is Mason. And I'm Katie. And today we're going off the beaten path a little bit, no pun intended. Uh, and we're going to be discussing uncontacted tribes Ooh. of the world. Yeah, this is something I've been interested in for a long time, so I figured why not do a little bit more research and yeah. talk about it on the show. Yeah, that sounds cool. But first, before we get into that, uh, is there anything you've been curious about this week? Anything you've been thinking about? been curious about um well i have been curious about why i'm fighting a damn sinus cold so there's that apologize for my voice um that hit me like a freight train on sun monday sunday monday both a little bit you anything more interesting than that um yeah we've been watching rupaul's drag race together Mm -hmm, that's true that's true i have never um, this is my first time watching it. You had watched some seasons growing up, some of the like early, early seasons. Yeah. Um, we're currently on season nine. So no spoilers. Don't tell me who wins. I don't know yet. I was watching it before work yesterday, and I don't know what episode it was. It was maybe second or third episode. The maxi challenge, like the big challenge that they do, the main one, was to try out being morning talk show hosts. Okay. And it was so entertaining. They split up into two teams, and um, one of the teams, the show was called Good Morning Bitches, and then the other one was something like Not Today. It might have just been Not Today. I thought there was a third word in there, but I think that's all it was. Like a play on the Today Show? Yeah. Like yeah. the morning show? Uh-huh. Not yeah. Today. It was really entertaining. And it was such a clear, it was so interesting to watch because it was such a clear difference between like one team did really, really well. I think it was the Good Morning Bitches that did really well, and then Not Today did not not well isn't that that's kind of normally how it goes with it's, sometimes it's teams, 50 one will do really really well and one will do like terrible i had nothing to say you had nothing to add to that what did you say that's kind of how it goes like one team is really really good and sometimes yeah sometimes but um a lot of the times it tends to be pretty intermixed where there's like a couple of good folks on one team a couple of bad ones and same with the other team but this was like a clear Everyone on one team soaked. Did they pick? Did they do like captain style where they picked? They did. That every time mm-hmm. they do that, it's always way more lopsided than mm-hmm. if like the show producers or the directors put it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Always. Yeah, it's definitely clear that the contestants like know each other's strengths and stuff yeah. like that in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of clicks too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, I've been thinking about a lot this week too. Um, I've just, in the last couple weeks, I've been thinking about, like, our creative expression. I don't know if it's because I haven't done much creatively in my life. You know, I'm not good at painting. I can't sing. I don't really... Don't beat yourself up. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really play an instrument. I'm not necessarily putting myself down. Well, it's more okay, just... well, don't... You did play the trumpet for a minute as a small child, so don't discount that. I did. I did. Um, but I, I don't anymore. Um, so it it feels like, and my work is very technical too. There's really no creativity involved in that. And same with you. So I kind of, I kind of the last few months have been wanting a creative expression, which is part of the reason why this podcast came to, came to be. Mm -hmm. And I, I, it's hard to explain because I've never felt like this before, Yeah. but it feels really nice to, to make something Mm -hmm. like to, to go through the process of starting something that didn't exist before mm-hmm. it's really yeah. rewarding and it's satisfying and it's very addictive too because now i just want to keep going yeah with different which is things. good yeah. yeah yeah so most recently i've been thinking about adding tiktoks to mm-hmm. our mm-hmm. portfolio here 
Um, I'm not totally sure how I would want to go about that. I don't know if I would want to do like clips of the podcast. Mm, yeah, or, with like photos or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or if I would, if we would, because we'd both be posting together, mm-hmm. want to do like short little clips of you know, 15 seconds of, like, a story or something, just something mm. real small. Like a teaser, almost. That's a good idea. Yeah, we could do that, too. Like, we could give a little bit of information on whatever the week's podcast is going to be about mm-hmm. and then go from there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's just kind of been in line with me wanting to create more things. Mm-hmm. You and, need, like, a creative outlet. Yeah, yeah, yeah I really I don't. I feel that. Like, even my hobbies beyond the podcast now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've never been a very, like, creatively forward person in the way that you like an artistic type of creative like that's not really been your your area of interest right as much that's definitely mine I I definitely strive in in creative expression type of situations stuff like that I've always liked like art I like to paint I don't really do it just because I I don't know I don't know if it's a matter of finding the time or I think that's probably it, finding the time. I think it would be an enjoyable thing if I, like, set up a space for myself. Yeah. And um, just kind of went to town, just kind of let things, let the vibes lead the way. Yeah. 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 A lot of it, too, is, like you said, finding the time and mm-hmm. also wanting to dedicate time to it, mm-hmm. which has been really helpful with the podcast. We've dedicated time each week to kind of sit down and make sure it's happening. And record for you lovely folks. Yeah, and also the research that goes into it and the editing and, and everything else. But yeah, I don't know I don't know what it is. I've just been feeling like I wanna express myself creatively more. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, you know, I'm kinda curious if other people are feeling that too. It seems like there is a renewed push away from the more technical aspects of life. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it seems like there's Maybe it's just the content that I consume. Maybe it's just the things maybe. that I watch and listen to. Or maybe I'm manifesting <laughs> more creative content. Um, Love that for you. But it seems like there, like I said, there's like a renewed sense of creativity in the world. Mm-hmm. It's encouraging. A renewed interest in it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's it's being more encouraged. Yeah. Um, and more appreciated as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's something I've always appreciated, like other people's art and stuff like that. But even more now, I'm like like really giving myself a chance to soak it in and being like like this is really this is really enjoyable or like this really makes me feel something yeah which i love whether it's like photography or paintings or drawings or something like that it's really cool seeing what other people create it is yeah and like you said i've kind of personally i've, I've had a i have more appreciation mm-hmm. for it now yeah yeah and whereas before i might have just glossed over something i want to show the creator that I like it. Even yes. If it's that, that's just like a like or leaving a comment or whatever. Right, right. Um, and I think that means a lot to them. I mean, I hope so. Like, I think it's good that you want to make them aware of, of your interest in it or like that it is kind of meaningful to you because it's clearly meaningful to them, you know? Right, right. And a lot of it is just out of hobby, you know? It's not people's profession mm-hmm. 90% of the time. Yeah. But sometimes that can mean a lot more to somebody than yes. what they do for a living or what degree they have, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I agree. Anyway, enough. Shall we get into yeah, the story? Yeah, deep talk. It's just some things that just I've had in my mind. Chat. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's let's get into this, into the Uncontacted Tribes. Uh, so for anyone unaware, Uncontacted Tribes are exactly what they sound like. Uh, they're groups of people or communities who have by and large been undisturbed and uninfluenced by the modern life of the rest of the world. Okay. 
So exactly what you would think by the name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, some have had small interactions with outsiders over the years, while others have remained totally isolated. Mm. Today we're going to focus on tribes who have been documented, but are still largely uncontacted. And the reason for this is that there's no info on tribes that haven't been contacted because they haven't been contacted. You know what? That tracks. <laughs> and there's the math no... is mathing on that one. Yeah. So, yep. you know, anthropologists know that they exist, yeah. but there's there's no information on them. They don't know whatsoever. shit about them. They yep. don't even, yeah. And for most of these tribes, they don't even know how many there are, how many individuals there are in a particular group. Mm-hmm. There's just yeah. no no information on a lot of these. Yeah. I just have to say, I honestly respect that. And power to them. Like, if they want to be left alone, just leave them the fuck alone. Oh, like, yeah. Like, let them live their lives. That's yeah. All, that's what we're all trying to do at this point. Just kind of leave us alone. <laughs> and we'll, we'll get into that more okay. later, some of the efforts uh, to keep these tribes separated from mm. the rest of society and the reasons for it, too. Okay. All right. I'm interested. In some cases, uh, with these uncontacted tribes or, to- like, completely isolated tribes, there are drone slash plane slash helicopter footage or, or photos taken aerially mm-hmm. so we that's how we know they exist but okay. there, there's not much else beyond that okay uncontacted tribes are found all over the world although the majority are located in the congo river basin on isolated islands in the indian ocean and most notably the thick jungles of the Amazon rainforest. That makes sense. Yes. Mm-hmm. Estimating the number of uncontacted tri- uh, excuse me un- uncontacted groups of people can be very challenging, um, but the best resources that I could find all estimate that there's around 100 tribes of varying sizes around the world that are still uncontacted. Wow. Although the, the number could be much higher because, again, uncontacted. Uncontacted. <laughs> right, yes. right. Yes. <laughs> One thing I found interesting while researching the number of tribes, um, anthropologists are finding places that were recently inhabited but are now empty, Hmm. meaning that tribes are continually going extinct uh, before we can even find them or discover them. Even in our modern times, I know usually we think of groups of people disappearing as something from history or even ancient history, Mm -hmm, but it's still happening all over the world. That's crazy. Yeah. That's something I've never thought about one time in my life. It's likely that every year one tribe goes completely extinct extinct, and we have no information on them. Wow. We will have information when we inevitably discover their remains, the remnants of mm-hmm. their, you know, their society. Right. But for now, they're to- we're totally in the dark about these That's crazy. certain tribes. And even like I was just thinking about when we do discover stuff about them, we it's going to be same as with discovering historical stuff these days. Like, we only know what we can deduce from the info or the content they left behind. Like, we don't really know firsthand experiences if they're extinct, which right. is crazy. Like, because this is stuff happening right now. And when I think of extinct, I think of, like, dinosaurs. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. And also, if you discover the remnants of a civilization or a community, mm-hmm. you don't know if those members have also gone off and joined other communities yeah. and kind of integrated into them. Yeah. So it's really hard to tell when these groups actually, you know, stopped existing if they hmm. ever did. Similar to Native Americans, yeah. you know, Central Americans, the Native Australians. So same with groups like that. A lot of times there's not a set point where they 
cease to exist. They kind of integrate into other groups mm-hmm. over a, okay. you know, a period of time. That's interesting. So if anyone listening has prior knowledge about uncontacted tribes, they've probably heard about the Sentinelese people. So Can you say that again? Sentinelese people. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they are a group of people living on North Sentinel Island in the Bay of Bengal, okay. um, a couple hundred miles east of India Okay. in the Andaman and Nicobar Island chains. That's a lot of words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the exact population of the Sentinelese people is not known, but estimates range from 50 to 400 individuals. So pretty sizable for That's a group. That's a good range. Yeah. That is a big range. Yeah. And the reason for that is because they are extremely violent, but we'll get into that. Cool. They're believed to have lived on the island for tens of thousands of years and have developed a unique culture and language that is not understood by any outsider. The Sentinelese are hunter-gatherers, and their diet consists mainly of fish, wild pigs and boar, fruits, and vegetables. Okay. So pretty much the same thing we live off of. Generally. Generally. Never had boar. Have you ever had boar? I don't think so, but I would try it. I'd try any meat. Full stop. No exceptions. I don't think I would. I was given the opportunity. Do you octopus counts as meat? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was given the opportunity to try it, and I physically couldn't. I think I just about threw it across the room. Do you remember that when we were in Boston? I do. Yeah. yeah. I freaked out. Yeah. I couldn't. I, ooh. And it was deep fried too. No, didn't it? I could still see its face. I think it's. I could, it still had a head. It wasn't just like little legs or like it was. I. I stand by my statement. That's fine. <laughs> my That's statement fine. here. That's fine. Um. I feel like that sums us up as people. Yes. <laughs> so they live, the group lives in simple huts and shelters made from materials found on the island. Mm-hmm. Their clothing is minimal, consisting of leaves and animal hides. Cute. They are skilled hunters and fishermen. They use a variety of tools, including spears, bows and arrows, and fishing nets, things typical of pre-industrialized civilizations. Mm-hmm. The Sentinelese have largely avoided contact with the outside world and are known for their aggressive behavior towards anyone not part of their group. Okay. They have been known to attack boats and helicopters that approach the island using bows and arrows to fend off intruders, which isn't going to do much against a helicopter. You got a point. But do they even know what a helicopter is? No, they have no concept. That's bonkers. And I want to talk about that later, but I'll I'll get through the the groups that I want to talk about first because it kind of ties it all together. Do you want me to save some of my thoughts to the end there? Sure. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm saving some of mine too. Okay, all right. Uh, so again, they, they've been known to attack boats and helicopters. And as a result of that, the Indian government has declared the island and the surrounding waters, a completely restricted area, mm-hmm. meaning it is fully illegal to approach the island without official permission from the Indian government, oh, which, wow. which they really do not grant with very, very few exceptions. Very I mean, few exceptions. Honestly, good for them protecting the people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, you know, we're humans, and that mm. hasn't stopped a few people. Because, of course. Yes. While the Sentinelese have mostly avoided contact with outsiders, there's been a few instances over the years of contact. In 1991, a group of anthropologists made a brief visit to the island and left gifts for the tribe over a series of days. You know, they would slowly, they would leave gifts. I, okay. One, they left, a, I want to say, like a turkey or something like that, a frozen turkey. How did, a frozen turkey? Yeah, just, uh, you know, like a or processed turkey. Like a real turkey. turkey? Yeah, I don't think it was living, though. I think it mm. was, like, plucked and... That's what I meant. They, did I say a real turkey? I meant a living turkey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they would, they would leave, you know, things that the, the, the tribe could appreciate. Okay. So they did, they did, they weren't leaving, like, 
Motorola phones. It was 1991, so I had to think. Yeah, they weren't leaving stuff like that. They were leaving things that would be practical okay. for the people so that they could understand that it was seen as a sign of acceptance. Okay, okay. Uh, they, but they were chased away by the Sentinelese with bows and arrows. Right, right, uh, right. And they ceased to, to go back to the island. They, they called off their, their excursion, their study, and... They, they made it home alive. Well, that's, yeah. But, I feel like that was the right call to just give up on that one. But the rest of our stories here with the Sentinelese, um, they don't end quite as happy. Okay. In, 20, uh, in 2006, two fishermen who illegally approached the island uh, out of curiosity and nothing more were killed. They were both killed by the tribe. Dang. It's not sure how, but their bodies were found as, lo- as well as their boat washed up on the shore. Uh. So they don't know how they died. And anybody that has died on the island is not... Their body is not leaving the island because for that to happen, somebody would have to go there oh, and retrieve the body and right. bring it back. And they're not making it to the island to do that. Right. So there's no autopsies on oh. any of these victims. Okay. Okay. So the, the cause of death, not... Unknown. Unknown. Um, the The most recent and notable attack that put the people of North Sentinel Island back on the, in the news occurred in 2018, so very recently here, mm. when an American Christian missionary named katie's rolling her eyes she she knows she knows where this is going and she hasn't heard the story uh named john allen cho was killed by the sentinelese tribe while attempting to make contact chow had reportedly been planning the trip for years and had paid local fishermen to take him to the island again illegally he first attempted to reach the island on november 15th 2018 but was driven off by the sentinelese who fired arrows at his boat Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. undeterred Chow made several more attempts to approach the island over the next few days, eventually making contact with the tribe on November 17th, so two days later. Okay. According to his personal journal, Chow attempted to offer gifts and preach to the tribe. That's what he was there for. But they became increasingly aggressive toward him. Chow's last entry in his recovered journal read, God, I don't want to die. Who will take my place if I do? In what? Ministering to the Sentinelese people. Oh. He was then reportedly killed by the tribe, and his body was left on the beach. Indian authorities launched an an investigation into the incident and arrested the fishermen who helped Chow in his expedition. The police also attempted to retrieve his body from the island, but were met with hostility by the Sentinelese and eventually just abandoned their efforts, Mm -hmm. saying it wasn't worth it's not yeah 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 Yeah. okay the indian government also decided not to pursue any charges against the tribe members involved in the killing citing their status as a protected and isolated tribe under indian law and basically what the indian government is saying here is that if you don't want to die at the hands of a hostile tribe don't come to their house and knock on their front door that's kind of valid yeah i'm not gonna argue yeah and i i remember hearing about this story shortly after it happened again it was only five years ago mm-hmm. less than five years ago and there were a frightening number of people who were calling for the uh the death and the arrest of the tribe members well more than you would think in this in this scenario mm. they were i mean they were kind of defending themselves against someone they didn't know or trust so exactly yeah mm. and thankfully the indian government agreed okay uh, so for the next group that I wanted to cover here, um, we're jumping across the pond to the Amazon rainforest, okay. home of the Yanomami tribe. Ooh, Might have fun. heard of this too, this tribe too. 
mostly found within Brazil and southern Venezuela, southern Venezuelan portions of the jungle, the Amazon rainforest, the Yanomami tribe are considered to be one of the largest isolated groups in the world with an estimated population of 35,000 people. Holy crap. Yeah, which for reference is like the size of our hometown. Yeah. Outrageous. That's a lot of people. Totally or mostly uncontacted. And that's the whole tribe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And they're spread out over a pretty large area too. Okay. They're not concentrated like we would think of like a town or a city. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Yanomami have a very unique culture and way of life characterized by a strong connection to the land and nature. I already love them. Yeah. <laughs> they practice a form of horticulture known as slash and burn agriculture. Okay. In which they clear small plots of land and plant crops for a few years before moving on to a new location. Okay. The Yanomami also rely on hunting, fishing, and gathering to supplement their diet. They have been the subject of numerous anthropological studies, with researchers documenting their social structure, kinship systems, religious beliefs from afar. And as far as we can tell from the, the research, the Yanomami are divided into clans, okay. and each clan is further divided into subclans based on family relationships, and marriage within the same subclan is prohibited. Okay. And Yanomami men often marry multiple wives, but not of the same subclan. Mm. So basically the, the subclan is, acts as like a nuclear family for our intents and purposes. Okay. And then the larger clan would act like a close-knit community. Mm-hmm. Okay. A small, yeah. Not liking the multiple wife thing. Yeah. I mean, we have that here too. Looking at you, Utah. Yeah. No offense. No, Utah's beautiful, and I would absolutely love to live right. there someday. Right, and it's like a religious thing. The, the... Oh, polygamy? Yes, thank you. Sorry, I couldn't take the word. The Yanomami also have a complex shamanistic belief system that is deeply intertwined with their way of life. Mm-hmm. So central to their belief is the idea that the natural world is inhabited by a multitude of spirits that can either help or harm humans. Love that. Sound familiar? Yeah. It fits right in with a lot of other religions, which yeah. I'll get to later here. These spirits are believed to have both individual personalities and the ability to communicate with each other. Okay. Yanomami shamans are highly respected members of their community and are believed to be able to communicate with the spirits of the natural world. (laughs) They are also believed to have the ability to enter into a trance-like state in which they can communicate with the spirits on behalf of their community. In this trance-like state, the shaman may engage in singing, dancing, or other rituals in order to communicate with the spirits. One of the central concepts in Yanomami shamanism is the idea of japi, which refers to the spirits of the ancestors. The Yanomami believe that the japi can take many forms, including animals, plants, and inanimate objects. And another key aspect of the shamanism is their use of hallucinogenic substances. Oh. Yeah, man. Right. Like ayahuasca and yobo. Which I'm not sure what Yopo is, but it, it's it's, it's got to be similar to DMT, LSD, mm. ayahuasca. And we're familiar with ayahuasca. Not that we've done it, but I, we, I think I listened to a podcast episode on it or a series on it. That shit's bonkers. Yeah, it's it's <clears throat> intense, and it's really popular in South America. And there's actually ayahuasca retreats mm-hmm. that you can go on, mm-hmm. which I think would be really fun. 
I'm terrified of it. I'm going to rephrase that. It'd be, it'd be a really eye-opening experience. <laughs> it would certainly be something. In a lot of these, you're actually guided by a shaman. Mm, okay. Or a shaman-like figure. Okay. Which would make, for me, would make the experience so surreal. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you're, usually, you're usually with a group of people as well, and usually they're also tourists. Okay. So it can be a pretty welcoming environment from what I've seen. I watched some, some videos, and I watched one documentary on it, so... Mm-hmm. I, uh, just based on that, I would definitely go. On an ayahuasca thing? Yeah. Oh, gosh. We're going to Peru. Book your tickets. The Yanomami people were first contacted by outsiders in the mid-20th century with the arrival of Brazilian and Venezuelan government officials and, again, Christian missionaries. Contact with the outside world has had a profound impact on the Yanomami people, leading to violence, disease, and other social and environmental problems. In the 60s and 70s, the Brazilian government initiated a program to build roads through the Amazon rainforest to connect various communities. Uh, But those roads also brought thousands of miners, loggers, and ranchers to the region who were keen on taking the free land. Oh, root. Free in quotes. The influx of outsiders led to the spread of diseases like malaria and measles among the Yanomami people, who had had no immunity to these diseases, Yeah, similar to the Spanish arriving in Central and South America, mm-hmm. um, bringing smallpox. These people just had no outside contact, no immunity. Mm-hmm. It's estimated that up to 20% of the Yanomami's population was killed during these years mm. by disease. The presence of outsiders has also led to violence as miners and loggers encroach on the Yanomami lands and competed for resources. There have been numerous reports of violence against the people by outsiders, including massacres, rapes, and forced displacement. In recent years, efforts have been made to protect the Yanomami people and their land, and thankfully in 1992, the Brazilian government created the Yanomami Indigenous Territory, which covers an area of 96,000 square kilometers, or about 37,000 square miles, and is home to, so that area specifically is home to over 2,600, or excuse me, 26,000 Yanomami people. Okay. So a good portion of them. The territory is is legally protected, and mining and other activities are prohibited within its border. However, illegal mining and logging still occur within the Yanomami territory, leading to ongoing conflict and environmental degradation. Yeah. In addition, the Brazilian government's policies toward indigenous peoples has come under criticism in recent years, with many activists and experts calling for greater protection. And the last group I wanted to, to cover here is the Yaifo tribe, and I apologize if I'm not saying any of these names mm-hmm. right. I, They're a bit unusual. Yeah, I'll sound as confident as possible, but <laughs> if I'm completely wrong, please forgive me. The Yaifo tribe is an uncontacted tribe that lives in the dense forests of the remote and rugged terrain off the, or excuse me, of the island of New Guinea, which is located in the Pacific Ocean and is divided between the countries of Papua New Guinea and Indonesia. Okay. The tribe is believed to be one of the few remaining groups in the world that has had no contact with the outside world 
by and large, meaning no news groups have gone there, no missionaries have been there. But there was one story here, which we'll get into. Okay. Little is known about the Yifo tribe, as they have largely managed to avoid any contact with the outside world. Um, but we do know that they have been able to maintain their traditional way of life, including hunter, hunting and gathering, using stone tools, and practicing rituals that are believed to be thousands of years old, if not older. The tribe came to international attention in 2014 when a man named Benedict Allen embarked on an expedition to find them. So unlike our American friends, Allen was not there to spread religion. He was simply an explorer who wanted to document the tribe. He became internationally known in 2017 when he went missing while attempting to find the remote New Guinean tribe. Uh. Allen had previously been known for his expeditions to some of the world's most remote and inaccessible regions. In addition, his work as a writer and documentary filmmaker, Allen had been interested in exploring remote regions and experiencing different cultures since he was a child. He began his career as a journalist and then started to work as an explorer in the 1980s. Um, He had led expeditions to remote areas of Papua New Guinea, Mongolia, and Siberia. Sounds kind of fun. Among others. Yeah. So in 2017, he decided to embark on the expedition to find the Yaifo tribe. Okay. I feel like being an explorer by profession is not something that exists in 2023. No, but it did in 2017, so he's got that going for him. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. And I I wanted to give some backstory here and tell you that this would not be the first time that Alan would have contact with the tribe. This was really confusing to me while I was doing my research because a lot of the sources presented his expedition as being his his first contact with the tribe. Okay. But after doing a little digging, he had actually previously lived with the tribe and was attempting to reconnect with them, not connect with them or discover them. Oh, that's cool. So according to Benedict Allen's own account, his first encounter with the Yaifu people uh, occurred in the early 1980s while he was traveling through Papua New Guinea as part of a larger expedition. Okay. So he wasn't going to specifically look for the tribes. He was there to explore other regions of the island. Okay. And he just happened to stumble upon them. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That's cool. Uh, during this trip, he met a man named Job, who was from the Yaifo tribe, and the two developed a strong connection. Several year, years later, in 1985, Alan returned to Papua New Guinea with the intention of reconnecting with Job and the Ifo tribe. He was able to locate Job, and together they made their way through the dense jungle to Yifo's remote location. Okay. Alan spent several weeks living with the people, learning about their way of life and culture, and during this time he observed their rituals, participated in their daily activities, and learned some of their language. That's so, really cool. Yeah, so he really was trying to incorporate himself into the community yeah like integrate right and it and it feels just from reading um it feels like the tribe uh accepted him much mm-hmm. more than you know these other tribes yeah I would that say we've talked much about more than so the far. first one yeah it, yeah and i wanted to note that the exact duration of alan's stay with the ifo people is not entirely clear in different sources that i found gave different accounts however it's generally accepted that he spent at least a couple weeks living with them okay so with the confidence from his previous encounters he set out alone and without any communication equipment, planning to meet up with a tribe member who would guide him to the rest of the group. However, Alan did not return on the expected date and was reported missing. Didn't return from that expedition? From his expedition. Uh. A search and rescue operation was launched, which involved local authorities, 
tribal leaders and members of the Yifo tribe. They were trying to locate him, mm-hmm. thinking maybe that they had taken him into captivity. Mm-hmm. Alan was eventually found by a helicopter rescue team and taken to a hospital in the capital city of Port Moresby. During his time in the forest, Alan had become lost and had run out of food and water. Oh, no. He had become severely dehydrated and had lost a significant amount of weight. But despite his ordeal, he did survive and was able to recover from his injuries. Oh, good. So he was—he never found the tribe. Okay. Like, was he on his own or was there someone with him? He was totally on his own. Oh, no. It was He had intended to meet up with a member of the tribe right. who he had previously known. Okay. And I would imagine when the authorities went to the, this particular tribe member, the tribe member probably said, I haven't seen him. He never showed up. Oh. And then the authorities probably turned around and said, yeah, prove it. You know, mm-hmm. so they went to the like, tribe and... you probably killed this guy. Yeah, yeah. Which... Which was did. incorrect. They did not. Right. No, he just got lost. So the, the incident sparked a media frenzy with many criticizing Alan for taking unnecessary risks and putting his own life at danger. While others defended him, citing his years of experience and arguing that if anybody knew what they were doing, it would probably be him. I mean, yeah. Which makes sense. He, get, he got lost. Sue him. Yeah. Tell the fuck out. Yeah. Alan himself later admitted that he had made a mistake, not by going on this trip, but by not at least carrying a GPS device or satellite phone. Yeah. He also admitted that he underestimated the dangers of the region. Mm, I get that. Following his rescue, Alan returned to the UK and wrote a book about his experience titled Ultimate Risk, Living Dangerously in the Deepest Jungle. He has since continued to travel and explore and has also worked as a presenter and writer for various television and radio shows. Okay. I wanted to read a quote from his book. Yeah. Uh, I'm just kind of putting this in here because I had no idea where else to put it (laughs) because it didn't make sense anywhere else. Okay. But I thought it was a good quote. He said... I was close enough to smell the featured odor of death that had seeped into the fabric of the tribe's existence, but also close enough to glimpse their determination to cling to life, no matter what horrors it held. As intriguing and interesting as these tribes are, they are also under a very great threat from a variety of factors, mainly due to the encroachment of modern civilization into their territories. Mm. As the world's population continues to grow, resources become more scarce. Uh, More and more people are looking to exploit the natural resources that are found in many of these territories, Mm -hmm. especially the Amazon. Yeah. This has led, obviously, to conflicts, including land grabs, resource exploitation, and violence, which threatens their existence. Right, which makes sense. Right. None of that is groundbreaking news. No, no. In recent years, there's been a growing movement of activists, anthropologists, and concerned everyday citizens Mm -hmm. who are working to protect these uncontacted tribes. They argue that these tribes are living proof of the incredible diversity in human culture and should be preserved as a valuable part of our global heritage. I agree. Yeah, I completely agree. It's hard to argue with that. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I am under, I, I'm personally under the belief that the best way to protect these tribes is just to respect their privacy. Yeah, leave them alone, bitch. Right. So with the more serious stuff out of the way i wanted to highlight a couple of weird and interesting stories that i found while researching this we love weird around here yeah and again similar to the quote i didn't have any place to put these stories in in 2011 brazilian officials released photos of an uncontacted tribe living in the amazon rainforest the tribe had never been seen before and was dubbed the quote-unquote lost tribe The images, which showed members of the tribe painted in red and brandishing bows and arrows, caused a sensation and were widely covered by the international media. 
The tribe was reportedly discovered by members of the Brazilian government's Native Affairs Department, who were conducting a routine flyover of the area. The officials spotted a clearing in the forest and noticed several figures moving around. They then used a helicopter to fly closer and snap some photos. The photos showed a group of about 20 people, including men, women, and children, who were living in a small village in the forest. Okay. The tribe appeared to be healthy and well-fed, and the members were observed engaging in a variety of activities such as cooking, building, playing. The discovery of the lost tribe was seen as a significant breakthrough in the effort to protect uncontacted tribes, seeing as how they figured if they could still find tribes that were completely uncontacted, it meant that they were no longer encroaching further onto these tribes. However, it it had later emerged that the tribe was not actually lost at all and had been known to local authorities for years. That's embarrassing. In fact, the tribe has been subject of a, has been the subject of a number of previous flyovers and the Brazilian governments had been monitoring their movements and seeking to protect their territory for years prior. Okay. All right. That's not new information. No, exactly. And I actually remember hearing about this in history class and it was a big scandal because these newspapers that had published these news outlets that had published his stories, they had to backtrack what they had said. I also noticed an interesting correlation that I hadn't made before, and this is pretty off topic here, but the religion of many uncontacted tribes, especially South and Central American groups, have religious beliefs that are incredibly similar to European pagan traditions. Oh, okay. Yeah. This is especially pronounced in the concept of animism, which essentially is believing that everything in the natural world has a soul or spirit. Okay. This includes not just living things, but also rocks, rivers, and other natural features. Similarly, in pagan European traditions, there is a belief in the presence of spirits in the natural world, Uh which can be communicated with through rituals and offerings. Another correlation between the two traditions is with the use of hallucinogenic plants in religious or spiritual practices. I know most people don't think of hallucinogenic properties when they think of European pagans. Yeah, no. they have used such properties, we'll oh, call them, okay. like mushrooms, huh. um, to alter, that. to enter altered states of consciousness, very similar to the ayahuasca groups. Got it. Same idea. Right. Okay. Right. And there's there's many more similarities as well, even when you get down to some of the details, like their ideas surrounding death and rebirth, observations and reverence of astronomical patterns, etc. I just wanted to add. <laughs> that there obviously are a huge range of beliefs within the pagan and South American religions, Mm -hmm. but it's undeniable the similarities, Yeah, which I thought was interesting. That's interesting. I agree. I I found this interesting because many of the uncontacted tribes that hold these beliefs would have never come into contact with a European pagan. Oh, yeah. Hadn't thought about that. Which is very interesting. Yeah. Um, There has been a spread of Christianity and the consequences that come with the spread. However, as far as we know, there aren't pagan missionaries taking expeditions to South America to try and convert the locals. Yeah. And there also wouldn't be much for them to try and convert because they would they would arrive and they would realize You're that, like, hey. Oh, they already got it. Cool. Yeah. Oh, I, I guess I'm not needed My at all. My work here is done. Yeah. Easiest day for a pagan missionary. <laughs> yeah. And I just to wrap up here, I find these tribes that have had no contact so interesting. I think about their perception of us if they have any perception of us. Mm. Obviously, we have planes, drones, helicopters, and things flying over South America all the time. Right. And I, I, I always wonder what the tribes think of us and those things specifically. Yeah. 
I wonder if they think we're some divine presence or maybe something set for punishment. Ooh. And I'm kind of, it kind of makes me sad, too, when I think about it. Not necessarily for the tribes, but for me, because yeah. I want to know more. Yeah. But I also respect the privacy yeah, of I the know. tribes. I definitely agree, because you want to you wanna know more, like your natural curiosity and instincts of being curious make you want to know more about them and like learn more about them and stuff like that. But at the same time, they want to be left alone, so you're like, okay, I want to leave them alone, but right. I want to know some more. Exactly. And the more we learn about them, the less they become uncontacted, so it's kind of like a paradox. Yeah. The more that we interact with them, the more that they feed off of our cultures and mm-hmm. the less of their original cultures that they leave behind. Yeah, yeah. So, That's so true. So it's a it's a paradox and it makes me sad. Yeah. But I, I'll have to live with it. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to wrap up here by saying that while we do know some about these tribes, we may never know what truly happens within these communities and we'll have to live with it. Just like the show Unsolved Mysteries. Just like the show. Yeah, but sometimes they follow up. You know, I was wrong about that one. I realized as I was saying it, I was like, that's not... Uh, Speaking about Unsolved Mysteries, we watched the new season, well, new season, like, what, three or four years ago? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I haven't heard any follow-up. No. Have they have they solved any of those cases? We're talking about the it's Netflix, right? The Netflix Netflix. version, yeah, that came out like a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We watched it like we sped through those seasons. I think there was two, maybe. We watched them in like four days. Uh, Yeah, yeah, they were so good. They were really good, but yeah, yeah, but it's sad that I haven't. You know, you don't really hear any of the follow ups. Yeah, and we even looked for them. I think. Well, but I think ago. when we looked for them, it was when episodes had just come out. So we'll have to like follow up. We should rewatch the episodes and Google like the cases as we're watching the episodes and be like, okay, so any updates here? Yeah. 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 And it's been so long that it would probably be fresh mysteries in our mind anyway. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, just wanted to wrap up um, with our sources here. We have The Unconquered, In Search of the Amazon's Last Uncontacted Tribe by Scott Wallace, Uncontacted Frontier by Philip Temples, Ultimate Risk, Living Dangerously in the Deepest Jungle by the previously mentioned Benedict Allen, and the BBC Journal Anthropology, The Sad Truth About Uncontacted Tribes. Thank you. (laughs) That's going to do it for us this week, everybody. We hope you enjoyed. Um, don't forget to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. We're trying to diversify a bit. Mm-hmm. And follow us on Instagram at Chronicles of Curiosity Podcast, TikTok at Chronicles of Curiosity Pod. We couldn't fit podcasts. <laughs> so we should pod. They don't allow that many characters. They don't. Yeah. They don't. Yeah. Yeah, we're, um, we try to be relatively active on Instagram. We always post any reference photos that we may have from the episode. We're always promoting the episode. Also, do you guys like our new logo? We got a slightly more refined um, logo than what we started with. Um, still similar, same vibes, just a little bit more smooth. So if you guys like it, let us know. Um, I think I'm going to be trying to post a bit more on our Instagram stories and stuff like that. Maybe some polls and like questions and stuff like that so if you guys would like that let us know specifically let us know by interacting (laughs) with us on those um polls and such um if there's any cases you're interested in or want us to talk about please let us know we would love to have your input on that um sometimes it's hard kind of coming up with things to talk about week to week 
I mean, there's so many options out in the big wide world that... Yeah, there's too many options. There's too many options. Yeah. So if there's any specific cases you want us talked about to talk about, you want to learn more about, we would love to hear from you. So send us a message or a comment on our post, anything you'd like. Yep. And just real quick before we go here, I don't think I mentioned this in the previous episodes, but if you want to email us, oh, yeah. we're chroniclesofcuriositypodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Nice and easy. Um, we, we do check the email. So mm-hmm. if you have something you want to send us, let us know. Yeah. yeah. Any, Shoot it our way. If you have any curious stories or fun facts like that, feel free to send them. We'd love to hear them. Yeah. And who knows? Maybe someday we will read them on the podcast. Sure. Yeah. But that's going to do it for us this week, everybody. We hope you enjoyed, and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.